When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan, and welcome to our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. It is the Hey Mary Kay edition, and as we head into training camp, fans of course have questions about Deshaun Watson. What's taking so long uh, with hearing about his initial punishment from Sue Robinson? Uh, They have questions about Josh Rosen. There's even some Baker Mayfield questions in there, and then we get to some training camp questions regarding David Bell. Now, Football Insider. I'm sure you've missed me telling you all about Football Insider, but look at his training camp. If you've been thinking about it, if you've been waffling, now is the time. Go to cleveland.com slash browns, click the blue banner at the top of the page to get a newsletter delivered to your inbox every single day. Become one of our text subscribers and get access to those exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns. So again, cleveland.com slash browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up. All right, here we go. Our Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Here we go on our Tuesday edition, the Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange Brown Podcast. It is training camp week, Mary Kay, but of course, everyone's still wondering about Deshaun Watson. We got a number of uh, lengthy questions about Deshaun. I'm, I'm going to shorten some of these, but the, the most direct question came from the Pope in sunny Fremont, California. So I'm assuming not the actual Pope. He says, hey, Mary Kay, essentially. What is taking so long in getting a decision here from Sue Robinson? Well, Pope, it's kind of like when, you know, they have to wait for the smoke to waft out of the uh, of the Vatican when they're uh, choosing a new Pope. So, uh, yeah, I mean, basically, in its simplest form, Sue L. Robinson, the former federal judge, requested briefs from both sides. Those were due on July 11th. I'm sorry, on July 12th. Tuesday, July 12th. And then after that, uh, she needs to take her time going over those five page maximum briefs, which kind of summarize uh, things that went on in the hearing. And I'm guessing that you can possibly introduce new information in those briefs as well, if you have anything or to clarify things. So then she has to spend a considerable amount of time uh, going over those documents. And at that point, uh, then she's starts to make her decision. And not only does she have to have to make up her mind on what the suspension should be or the fine or whatever, then she has to write it out. And you know how, uh, you know, when, when you see those written documents uh, from, from lawyers and, and judges and, and people in the, in the judicial system, uh, they're very thorough. They're very thoughtful. Uh, this isn't something that she's just, you know, writing on a napkin while she's at dinner. I mean, like she really has to put uh, a lot of thought and effort into this. And I do believe that she has other things going on too. I don't think this is the only thing that she's doing. Um, So I I think she's, you know, she's taking her time and she wants to get this right. And it's important because this is the first case under the new collective bargaining agreement, the revisions whereby the there is a jointly appointed officer. So this is the first time this is happening. 
and uh, everyone wants the process to go smoothly. So that's basically what's going on. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it stretches into next week, a day or two. I also wouldn't be surprised if something happens anytime this week. Uh, so, you know, she's not going to be looking at her uh, calendar and thinking, geez, the Browns have a full squad practice on, on Wednesday, so I better hurry up and make up my mind. Uh, she is going to go through the process and give it exactly what it means. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this today. We've all sort of, you know, every, every we always talk about the Supreme Court and, and their ruling process, right? And you hear about the hearings they have, and it takes months and months sometimes for them to to finally issue their ruling and, and their written statement and, and how they rule on a case. So it's obviously not going to take that long here, but you know, when you have a federal judge in the process, she's going to take her time. And the other part of it is essentially what she rules is going to be what they use in the appeal process. You know, there's not new information. that So she has to make this a very thorough ruling, a very thorough document. And this is ultimately what Roger Goodell or, or his appointee is going to consider when it comes time to uh, to hear an appeal. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, there there are so many layers to this, as you just pointed out, a very important one. Uh, and then it's the fact that, uh, you know, I really think that the NFL and the NFLPA are going to want to be respectful of the process. I mean, they this is they're jointly hired, they're jointly appointed former federal judge, very professional, very respected, uh, retired judge. And, you know, I, I just don't think they're going to want to disregard what should, not that they would disregard it, but I think either side is going to have to think long and hard about appealing her ruling after she went through a very thorough three-day hearing, after the NFL did a, a very, very extensive investigation into Deshaun. Uh, you know, I just don't think this is something where anybody's going to take it very lightly including her. So she's putting uh, just all of her effort into it and uh, hoping to come up with something, I'm guessing, that, you know, that is fair and that everyone can live with. Uh, but we'll have to see how, how that shakes out. So another part of this, and this came up in another question, is uh, something that it seemed like the NFLPA was going to argue. And that has to do with uh, punishment or a lack of punishment in other situations that don't have to do with players specifically. Hey, Mary Kay, as we wait for Judge Sue Robinson's ruling on whether Deshaun Watson violated the NFL Code of Conduct policy, I'm puzzled by the sentencing speculation by the pundits. Judge Robinson is not interpreting the law. She's interpreting the NFL Code of Conduct as it pertains to Deshaun Watson's behavior. And then I'll paraphrase here. How much does a situation like Robert Kraft's or some other situations, Dan Snyder has, of course, um, you know, been alleged to do some things that, that would have violated the code of conduct policy. How much does Sue Robinson have to account for that in her, for lack of a better word, sentencing? Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, that was a large part of the NFLPA, the Players Association's argument. Uh, they brought in their heavy hitter, an attorney by the name of Jeffrey Kessler, to argue this case. And that was one of their big points was that they have not come down harshly on Kraft, on, on Jerry Jones or on Daniel Snyder for alleged misconduct. Uh, but I, I just don't know that she is necessarily going, going to take those into account. I mean, you would have to investigate each one of those cases 
so incredibly thoroughly uh, to, you know, to try to make some kind of a comparison there. I think basically what she's going to do is consider the arguments on both sides of this case. And again, as as our very astute texter pointed out, she is applying the rules of the personal conduct policy and not the laws of our governments, our, our federal government. Uh, she that's not what she's doing. She is um, she's going she she does have to go by the way that this policy is spelled out. So I do think it's it's a little tricky. It's the first case. And, you know, coming from the legal background and coming from the, the judicial world. You know, I, I think it, it might actually be hard to to come to a conclusion or a decision based just on the policy because the standards are so different. I mean, basically, you just had had to have engaged in some kind of behavior that's detrimental to the NFL. It's a very broad brushstroke and you could go any way that you want with with the uh, with the punishment. You don't have to prove all the NFL had to prove was that he violated the personal conduct policy. That is not, it's not hard to violate the personal conduct policy. I mean, pretty much anything can fall under the umbrella of, you know, one of the last bullet points, which, which is, oh yeah, you know, anything that we just don't like the way that looks, right? I mean, you don't have to have, you know, been criminally charged with anything. You don't have to have applied force. You don't have to have, you know, coerced anyone to do anything. So some of these arguments that the NFLPA has been making, uh, you know, I, I don't know if they're going to hold all that much water with Sue L. Robinson. It all depends on how she interprets the policy and applies the policy. Uh, so it, it's it's going to be very, very interesting to be a, sort of a landmark case in the NFL. I think this is the first uh, I think this is the most extensive uh, behavioral issue that's ever taken place in the NFL. Uh, it's certainly one of the most you know significant and controversial ones that we we've ever seen. So um, she's got a you know, she's got a little bit of a tough job. And then the NFL is going to have to decide if she comes up with four games, six games, eight games, are they going to abide by it? Or are they going to look at uh, the policy that they, you know, that they collectively bargained with the players association and say, and eh, no, we're going to do our own thing. We're going to kind of sidestep that a little bit. And, uh, and we're going to, you know, give him the full year that we want. I don't know if they would do that. I don't, I don't know if that's respectful enough of the process. So, um, We'll have to see how this plays out. We don't know uh, if that's going to be the end of it when she says whatever she says, or if there will be a whole nother layer after that. Yeah. And I, and I think that's always worth repeating is she's not determining if Deshaun Watson did anything illegal. She's determining if he did anything that was against the NFL's personal conduct policy, much like, much like any, anyone else in any other workplace, when you represent your company, you know, every, every company has a, has something like the personal conduct policy in place, right? Like if, you know, I go on some Twitter rant or something and it reflects poorly on cleveland.com, I'm, I'm going to face, it might not be illegal. I'm going to face punishment for that. So, that, I mean, that's obviously mm -hmm. not a, an apples and oranges comparison, but um, that, that's, that's what she's determining, not did he break the law or not. 
Yeah. And, and you bring up such a good point there that I think helps illustrate it for people. I mean, think of ESPN, right? I mean, we often see ESPN anchors, you know, getting suspended for, you know, something that they said on the air or something that they tweeted. And, you know, sometimes you look at it and you think, huh, really? What was so bad about that certain thing? But it is their conduct policy. It is their inner office behavioral policy and they abide by that. So, um, you know, it, it it's just going to be, you know, we don't know what, what Sue L. Robinson is thinking, even though we hear everybody guessing this and guessing that we really don't know. And I certainly don't think she's been tipping her hand to anybody. Uh, the other part about this, of course, is that, you know, there is the opportunity for the NFLPA for Deshaun's side to sue. Now, when I at in federal court, if they don't like the outcome, if he gets the year, but, you know, when I asked his lawyer, Rusty Harden, about that last week, he said, I don't know anything about that. There was a report by Charles Robinson on Yahoo.com that uh, that the NFLPA and Deshaun's camp has already decided that they will sue in federal court if he gets the year. Well, maybe someone has decided that someone in Deshaun's camp has decided that. But there certainly at this point isn't a consensus in all facets of Deshaun's camp for doing that. So, and it seems a bit premature to actually have made that decision. It was sort of, I don't know, odd timing, I thought, for that to come out. Yeah, it was one of those things that, you know, again, I don't want to speculate too much on it, but it was almost felt like one of those things where they were sending a message mm -hmm. to someone. Hey, if you, you know, we think this is going to be the ruling, but if you overrule it, we're going to do this. I don't know. It's all just just really messy trying to interpret this. So let's switch gears to the football field and Deshaun mm -hmm. Watson. Hey, Mary Kay, assuming an eight-game suspension, all of us have virtually agreed that the first four games are very winnable, even with Jacoby Brissett, a quarterback. Then in the next breath, many of us say that just getting to four and four is good enough and they can probably still make the playoffs. But he's wondering, isn't that a rather low bar? Shouldn't we expect more from the Browns considering the talent they have on offense still? And considering how good we all think the defense could be, he throws out six and two. Is four and four too low of a bar? Well, I mean, I, I think it's going to be a dogfight in the AFC and in the AFC North uh, to win the division, to get one of those wild card spots, to make the playoffs. I think it's going to be really hard this year. I don't think anything is guaranteed. I mean, look at the caliber of quarterback in the AFC. It is just off the charts. And I think you're going to see some really good, exciting football this year. So I understand what our texture is saying. Uh, you can't really necessarily count on a 500 record. And then all of a sudden Deshaun comes in and he's not going to miss a beat. And he's going to win every single game. It doesn't matter what the weather it is. It could be windy. It could be snowy. He's going to go out there, light it up, tear it up. He won't need an adjustment period. He'll win the rest of the games and they head off to the playoffs. So I do understand that uh, 500 ball is setting the bar probably, you know, maybe a little bit too low and setting the expectations possibly a little bit too high for what Deshaun will be able to do after not having played football since the end of 2020, remembering, of course, that he sat out all of last season. So I do think that uh, they should have probably a little bit higher expectations than that. Um if it, if it is eight games, yeah, six and, you know, six and two, you know, that might be a little too optimistic. Maybe five and three gets you where you want to go. Um, but, you know, certainly I think they do have an opportunity 
to win their fair share of games. Again, of course, with the first four games, as we mentioned, being pretty soft. Uh, Jacoby Brissett being a good game manager. And then a defense that I think is just going to knock it out of the park this year. And a good supporting cast. Uh, I, I, it's not out of the question that they could win five games if he's out eight. I guess the thing is, even as as winnable as these first four games look, right? I mean, it's at Carolina, it's versus the Jets, it's versus the Steelers. Although, you know, write them off in a short week at your own risk. And then at Atlanta in week four, going 4-0 is hard. I don't care who you're playing. I, you know, th- th- these are still NFL teams early in the season. They're relatively healthy. They're all still playing for something. We know there's going to be, you know, the whole Baker Mayfield thing probably in week one. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't really care who's on the schedule. Starting four and zero is really difficult in the NFL, regardless of who you play. Yes, it is. In fact, I believe if I have this right, the Browns haven't done it since like 1979 or something like that. I think is the case. And uh, to go out there and and disrespect some of these teams early on. I mean, if Pittsburgh catches wind that you know we are talking about how soft the early part of the schedule is that's not going to go over too big that will become locker room fodder right um because you know no matter what i mean when you're playing the pittsburgh steelers their defense is always tough and you know if you've got jacoby Brissett going up against that pittsburgh defense with some guys now back healthy that's not going to be easy that that will not be easy So I do think that, you know, there will be some games that might be a little tougher than you think. Um, We know that the Jets had one of the best off seasons of anybody in the NFL. And, you know, Robert Sala, he's a good coach. So, and that, you know, they're going to have a good defense. So I, I don't think anything is necessarily a given, but I do think that, that the Browns are built to win these games even with Jacoby Brissett. So they will be competitive. I'm not going to say they're going to win them all, uh, but I think they'll be in every one of them. And and I would imagine they would be favored in, in all the first four games leading up to that game against Los Angeles. And then, then we'll kind of see from there. And then New England at Baltimore and Cincinnati. Hey, Mary Kay, hopefully you can clarify something. If the Browns offered $230 million guaranteed to Deshaun Watson in what he calls a seemingly desperate measure, would they have been better off offering that money to Russell Wilson? Would they have had an interest in offering that money to Russell Wilson? Well, they did make some kind of a pitch for Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson was a player that they were interested in, but Russell was going to be able to dictate where he landed. And I don't know all of it, but I just don't think that he had the Browns on his list as, as a place that he wanted to play. I think that, Uh, He had his heart set on a few teams, and I don't think this was one of them. So, yeah, they might have been better off trying to land or landing a Russell Wilson. I don't think that they really had that option. Yeah, it it would be interesting to see if if that's something they could have done. But obviously, uh, he's in Denver, and uh, they decided to go after Deshaun Watson um, after all of that. All right. Uh, Lots of folks wanted to talk about Josh Rosen. But first, uh, there was a Baker Mayfield question. So you obviously wrote Mary Kay about 
uh, Anthony Schwartz today. Uh, everybody go to cleveland.com slash Browns and check that out and sort of how he felt potentially being being blamed for Baker's injury uh, on that interception when Baker did get hurt. Uh, but this has to do with Baker's decision to play through the injury. This comes from Leslie in Knoxville. Hey, Mary Kay. Uh, I heard you talk about a possible retrospective on the Baker years. Here's what I'm wondering. Was Baker injured but refused to rest, or was his injury mismanaged? Was he hurt but able to play and just played poorly? You know, it's a great, great question. What I do know is there was somewhat of a disconnect between Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns on the severity of his injury. Uh, I think that that he attributed much of his poor 2021 season to the injury. And he, he said that, you know, after the season, uh, just how much that impacted him. Alex Van Pelt talked about that too, but there were some in the organization. We heard Kevin Stefanski early on. We heard Alex Van Pelt. We heard Andrew Barry all say that this injury just, you know, wasn't why he had a bad season. Certainly it wasn't the entire reason why he played the worst ball of his career last year. Um, so I don't think it was mismanaged. Um, if Baker was way more hurt than he let on to anybody, then that's got to be on him because you have to be honest with the medical staff. You have to be honest with the coaches, the front office, and all the people around you. You can't be worried about your contract. You can't be worried about the future. You have to do what's right in the moment. And if he wasn't able to play and, and play winning football, then he, he should have taken himself out of there sooner and and more forcefully hit home the notion that he was not himself. I think he was probably okay to play. I do think the you know that the harness had something to do with it. I don't think he was ever really able to navigate that. Then they tried an, uh, one that wasn't as as clunky, sort of halfway through. So I don't think it was mismanaged. I I think it was just. I just think it was a very controversial situation in which the team and the player were not really on the same page in, in what they were trying to accomplish there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, look, yeah, the contract extension sitting out there, obviously still trying to to prove that he deserved that. And there was just so much playing hurt in the NFL is tough. <laughs> you know, teams want you to do it, but then if you play hurt and play poorly, uh, they, they don't really take a lot of pity on you. So, um, you know, it was just a weird situation all around uh, with Baker and his injury. Okay. We're going to take a break. And then when we come back, all those Josh Rosen questions that you wanted uh, asked will be asked. And we are back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition. So obviously Josh Rosen signing with the Browns last week, uh, former number one overall pick, 2018. Mary Kay, there is the potential that we could have Baker Mayfield on the field, Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, maybe all three could play in that week one. At Carolina, it'll be almost a full 2018 reunion, minus Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. S.L. Smith in uh, Dallas, Texas, wants to know, Hey, Mary Kay, any chance Coach Stefanski helps Josh Rosen improve and reach his full potential, or is he just guilty of the I love the backup thinking? You know what? I don't know that Josh Rosen is even going to be on this team by the time we get to, say, mid to late August. I think they took a flyer on him. They took a chance. They needed another camp arm. And for right now, uh, most guys are, are kind of, you know, tied up and wrapped up. That will change as they go along. Some quarterbacks are going to shake free. Because as you know, Dan, 
not everybody keeps three quarterbacks on their roster. So before too long, I think there will be some quarterbacks floating around out there who the Browns deem better than Josh Dobbs, which they would like to find somebody uh, that is an upgrade over Josh Dobbs to back up Jacoby Brissett. Initially, uh, you know, I've known that they, they've been looking for that, uh, but initially I, I sort of thought that, okay, they thought they brought in Josh Rosen because they think he's better than, or at least more experienced than Josh Dobbs. He is more experienced. He's started 16 games and Josh Dobbs has only attempted 17 NFL attempts, 17 passes in the NFL. Nobody knows what Josh Dobbs is yet. So it seems sort of a no brainer to me that they kind of brought someone in that had more experience uh, to kind of bump up over Josh Dobbs in the event that he's needed early on. But the more I've been digging around and talking to people, I come to find out that that's really not the thinking with Josh Rosen. The thinking with Josh Rosen is get him in here, see what he is, see what he can do, have another camp arm and, you know, just kind of take a, a, a little chance, a lottery ticket, if you will. And, uh, you know, you know, see what he is, see if he's learned anything over the past few years. He's, you know, he's played behind Matt Ryan. He sat on the uh, practice squad in Tampa, learned some things from Tom Brady. Uh, you know, he, he's been around a little bit the last few years. Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's learned from. So I think they just want to see, you know, what he really is. Now, he only attempted 11 passes last year. He completed two of them. And two of them were picked off. So you can't base anything on what he did last year, certainly. Uh, so, you know, I don't know what they saw in him that led them to believe there could be something to Josh Rosen. Uh, I I don't know. I, I don't know that he is even going to be here by the end of that weekend of, of the final cuts. I, you know, I think they're going to continue to look around. So you kind of answered this question. So I'm just going to throw it out there. Jim and Olmstead Falls. Hey, Mary Kay, do you think there's any chance that Josh Rosen can beat out Jacoby Brissett for the starting job if Deshaun Watson gets suspended? I feel like you kind of just answered that a couple times in your last answer. Yes, I did answer that. So I'll keep it very brief. The answer is unequivocally no. That is not what this is all about. Jacoby Brissett is the starter for now unless something unforeseen happens. Of course, in the event that Deshaun Watson is suspended, Jacoby is the guy, and I think they will continue to look around uh, for someone that can step in in the event Jacoby Brissett gets hurt. hurt. Yeah, and I think just to continue the, the Josh Rosen discussion a little is, you know, the guy has been with a lot of teams already. You know, these teams have had him in their building. I mean, Arizona draft put a pretty high draft pick on him. I mean, number 10 overall, mm -hmm. and within a year they were basically changing systems and bringing in a new quarterback at number one overall. So, uh, you know, he's been in a lot of places where he's maybe had opportunities. I mean, you look at Atlanta, uh, you know, they could have used a, a guy like a Josh Rosen, right. If, you know, they drafted Desmond Ritter and, and Matt Ryan is gone. So it's just, sometimes you have to kind of look at where a guy's been and, and teams that have just sort of had him in their building and said, thanks, but no, thanks. Now that doesn't mean that, you know, I don't know, maybe something will click for him here in, in this training camp. And and maybe he'll love Kevin Stefanski and Alex Van Pelt and he'll fit into this system. And, you know, he maybe he's he's fixed some mistakes or fixed some things that needed fixing. But, you know, I'm, I'm with you. It seems very unlikely that, that it'll happen all of a sudden. Yeah, I mean, it's almost to the point where, 
you know, he might have to welcome a spot on a practice squad. Uh, that's the point that he's at where he, you know, he really needs to try to rebuild his career and hope that somebody is willing to take a chance on him during the season, not just during the, uh, you know, not just during the off season, not just during training camp to be that fourth arm or whatever the case may be. He is at that point where as a number 10 overall pick in the NFL in 2018, when some teams, I'm sure some teams had him as their number one guy, uh, you know, he's now at that point where he has to really hope that he's not out on, on the outside looking in, wishing that he had some kind of a job because that's kind of the point that he's at. All right, let's move on to um, the, the other piece of significant news from last week, and that has to do with David Bell. He goes on the pup list with a foot injury. This comes from Jay in Canton. Hey, Mary Kay, I know the Browns are downplaying David Bell's foot injury, but haven't you mentioned before how Braylon Edwards got injured in training camp and it was almost a lost season for him? A more recent example would be Anthony Schwartz. My question is, how much can David Bell miss and have it not affect his rookie year? Well, that's a good question, because if he only misses the couple of weeks that he's supposed to miss, then I don't think it's catastrophic. He got a lot of good work in in the offseason program. We know that Deshaun Watson kind of took him under his wing. They locker next to each other and the Browns have high hopes for David Bell. And Deshaun knows that. So he has been helping him. Uh, David Bell has been learning a lot from Amari Cooper. So he built up a lot of like good trust chips and good rep chips uh, during the spring practices. Uh, so I would say if he makes it back, at least on a limited basis within two weeks, which includes this sort of pre-camp part of camp that's going on just with the rookies and the quarterbacks, you know, if he only misses the first full week of camp uh, with, the full squad there. I don't think that's horrible. I mean, you do miss some installation, but I think you can catch up from that. What you can't catch up from very easily is if you miss three, four, you know, four and a half weeks of, of training camp. Uh, that's when you really start to fall behind. And yes, I have seen it happen to even veterans. I did see it happen to Braylon Edwards when Dante Stallworth stepped on his foot in training camp and he missed most of training camp. Now there were other uh, extenuating circumstances but that did not help. I do think that camp sets the tone and the foundation for your season. And he's going to need to get back fairly soon. But from all indications, everything that I've been told, it shouldn't be much more than, than a couple of weeks before he at least gets back on, again, on a limited basis. You know, it's just for that that rookie, it's just difficult to not be on the field and, and miss that time. But, um, you know, he'll, he'll still be able to be in meetings. He'll still be able to participate in some of that stuff. So, uh, and I would imagine if he gets a little work in the preseason um, and again, that spring practice, you know, Anthony Schwartz didn't have a lot of spring practice. Mm -hmm. you know, that, that's worth noting, too. There was, you know, he suffered some he had some injury issues in the spring as well, uh, along with all the, the COVID shortened stuff that was going on. So. Um, at least David Bell got most of that. Yeah. And that's so significant. And I think as we move along here and camp gets underway, I think you'll hear Kevin Stefanski talk about that. He's so grateful that he's having his, his first off season or that he had his first off season program with his offense. Uh, the defense showed up and mass at times last year, but not the offense at the behest of center JC Treader, the president of the NFLPA. A lot of those guys, you know, followed his lead and did not show up. And I think that Kevin Stavansky really regrets that and loves the fact that Deshaun had that time 
to rep it with David Bell, to rep it with Amari Cooper. Uh, so yes, he does have that under his belt, and I think it will help him a lot. Okay, a couple pre-camp roster pre- roster questions, and this one has to do with a couple second-year players from the 330 area code. Hey, Mary Kay, which second-year player will make a bigger jump this year, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa or Greg Newsom? Yeah, I think we've had this uh, some version of this question a couple I of times. So. Yeah, either on our pod or, or something. But, I mean, it's a good question. It's a good question, and it's a tough one to answer. Uh, but uh, I'm going to stick with the answer that I gave previously, and that is I'm going to say Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa because I think that Joe Woods uh, kind of held him back a little bit, didn't throw everything on his plate. He had also missed uh, some time in training camp the first five days uh, when he tested positive for COVID. And then he missed time later in camp when he had a weight room accident uh, and had some stitches in his forehead. So he missed time too. And, you know, he missed enough that I do think it represented a setback for him. Uh, and, and, and also there, there, are, there's a lot to that position. Uh, you know, he, if they use him in all the ways that they want to, um, you know, he'll blitz, he'll drop back in coverage. Uh, he'll, he'll play the run. Uh, you know, he'll play inside, outside. I mean, he'll do so many things. Uh, I don't think Joe Woods likes to overload a rookie. So I think that he's ready to give him more. I think Jeremiah Owusu-Koromo is ready for plenty more. And so for that reason, I'm I'm going to say JOK. I think I agree with you. And I think that leap will be more visible too, just because he'll be around the football more. You know, I mean, Greg Newsom, if he makes a leap, maybe it's just, oh, he shut this guy down for 50 snaps. I mean, how, how do you see that when you're watching, you know, the TV broadcast on a Sunday afternoon? Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think there's a lot more there for Jeremiah Wusukormoa. And I, you know, I think for Newsom, it's kind of just building on what he did last year. Um, for JOK, it's sort of Joe Woods figuring out exactly, okay, now I know what I have. It's that combination of those two things. Yeah, and and I've said this before as well. Um, I think that um, you know, if Greg Newsom all of the sudden starts punching the ball out and you know, getting interceptions and forcing fumbles and recovering the ball. Uh, you know, he can leapfrog over JOK in the uh, in the improvement department uh, if he all of a sudden ends up with five takeaways on the season. That's huge. Those are game-changing plays. So I think whoever makes the most game-changing plays uh, will be the one that we are talking about and, and granting with this honor when it's all said and done. Okay, last question here, and this is one that we love to talk about on this pod. John S. from York, Pennsylvania. Hey, Mary Kay. The Browns had multiple soft tissue injuries last year during training camp. What is the coaching staff going to do differently this year to prevent those injuries? I also want to ask you on top of this. So obviously a lot of those injuries, there were guys on bikes with hamstrings, quads, things like that. A part of me wonders how much of that was just them being overly cautious. Like, could those guys have played if there had been a game? Could they have practiced had there been a game? Um, so did that make the numbers, do you think, did that make the numbers feel a little higher than maybe they actually were? You know, that that's a great point because, you know, they may have been just trying to get guys to the starting blocks. But if that were the case, you know, I think too many guys miss too much training camp. I mean, you want everybody there. You want everybody out there practicing. So if that was the strategy and that was part of the uh, exercise science, it just seems to me that they went overboard a little bit on that. So 
I don't know. I don't know if they would have been willing to give up that many practice hours to that many guys, uh, you know, just to kind of keep everybody fresh. Um, now, I I keep laughing about this because how many times did I say last year, I think there's something wrong with that field, right? I mean, like, what could this be? How could this many people be getting soft tissue injuries that just must be not enough of, you know, like a firm turf or something. And, uh, and I, I was met with some resistance in that, but lo and behold, they replaced all the fields. So let's see if that has anything to do with it. I think it's a little bit of everything. I think it's probably, it could be some of the cleats that you're wearing. It could be some of your training methods. It could be the, the turf, uh, the surface, it could be all different kinds of things, but the Browns made changes. They tore out those fields. They put in new fields. They Now they have the, the ability to heat them. Uh, the drainage should be better. And uh, and also now this year, as we know, they have a regen room. So they listened. They listened to guys like John Johnson III that asked for more things to help them recover. You know, even simple things like yoga and more stretching. Uh, but they have this regen room now, which is, you know, state-of-the-art technologies on on how to get your body back uh, and recovered from, you know, a brutal Sunday afternoon or a brutal Thursday night in time to get out there and play football again. So uh, they're taking every measure that they possibly can to keep guys healthy this year. And, you know, again, it's worth noting with a lot of things, this is going to be a normal training camp. Um, mm-hmm. There aren't going to be restrictions on on people um, as far as hot tub use or, you know, whatever their use in the regen room, uh, you know, there's not going to be a limited number of, of people in, in certain places. So there's just going to be more access to things that the team can provide. And and I think that'll make a difference too, even if it's a small one. Yeah, I, I think so too. And, uh, and I think guys will really take advantage of everything the Browns are offering them. I mean, they asked for it. So I think they really will. And guys are really into this. I mean, you you often see them doing some of their modalities when they're on their own, whether it's, you know, cupping or, you know, any of these things that they do, uh, dry needling, you know, you've got infrared technologies. Uh, so this is going to be state of the art and they will leave no stone unturned in keeping their guys healthy. Okay, there we are. Hey, Mary Kay edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Those questions came from our Football Insider subscribers. If you want to become a Football Insider subscriber, look, camp starts this week. I don't know what you've been waiting for. I've been telling you about Football Insider for like two years now. Training camp starts here in a couple of days, our coverage of it. You'll want to be a Football Insider subscriber at least by then. So cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. And our podcast too will be going to a little bit of a different schedule with camp practices. Uh, we'll be recapping those as we go along. So you'll just want to be subscribed to this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Uh, so it just pops up right on your phone as soon as we hit publish on that. So uh, training camp's coming. Mary Kay, I will talk to you later. Sounds great.